Hello, bros, broettes, and bro fluids. This is the 5x5 podcast. As usual, I'm Bob, and today is September 6, 2020. My three top stories for this week are the Republican National Convention was a cringeworthy disaster. The coronavirus is still raging out of control, and a vaccine is being politicized by our failed game show host president. And the Republican Party, and Donald Trump in particular, is pushing a decades-old conspiracy theory about a branch of philosophy with, with, with which I am intimately familiar. I'm, as always, I'm joined by my co-host, uh, and he'll introduce himself. Some, some say that he is so Californian that he puts avocado on everything. Others say that he's the co-host of the 5 by 5 podcast, and I'm throwing it over to him. Both of those statements are correct. And <laughs> hello, everybody. This is Rocco uh, from the West Coast in California. And my three top stories today for you are talking about plastic, Louis DeJoy, and how Andrew Wheeler is advocating to poison your water. And uh, to start off, uh, we'll just start with plastic. So I like plastic, Rocco. Oh, man. Everyone loves plastic. It, it's, it's easy. It's convenient. Single-use life, mm. just in general. Um, anyone who's listened to uh, past episodes of the podcast will remember when I was uh, ranting about how much I hate my mop and how I'm going to have to buy like 20 disposable mops before I die. And guess what I went to uh, Target to buy this weekend, Bob? Was it a hairdryer? It was a goddamn mop. <laughs> <laughs> so that's number five. I think I'm up to. So yeah. Um, you, man, you, 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 talk, you talked about single use life, and if anyone's listening to this for a long time, they know I, I kind of tangent a little bit. But that did that did just get me thinking spontaneously right now. Have you ever seen a movie called The Gods Are Crazy? No, I haven't. So it's a South African, I believe, movie. Uh, it's one of the first movies they made, like post apartheid, and they got a fairly famous American actress whose name I can't remember from the 80s or not early 90s in it. And uh, it talks about that, about the single-use uh, life, how we don't think about it at all. And mm -hmm. it's, it's the story of this uh, young child who lives in a, a tribal society way out away from civilization. And they don't have any manufactured goods at all. And one day, a glass Coke bottle falls from the sky. And it's oh, the, I have seen this. Yeah, yeah. It's the hardest really thing great. that they have. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, and it completely destroys their society. And it's this thing that we don't think about. Mm -hmm. And it's a very trippy movie. And we're going to talk about what Rocco actually wants to talk about. And I'm going to stop interrupting him like a jerk. But that's a really cool movie to watch if you're going to sit down and uh, want to consume smart about what we're about to discuss. Yeah, that's actually a great tie-in right now. Because yeah. right now, um, you have oil lobbyists who over the past um, couple of years, they've spent over $200 billion in uh, revamping the natural gas and oil industry, uh, mostly in Appalachia. And right now there's a huge uh, chunk of lobbyists that are right now, you have all these fossil fuel companies that are lobbying uh, for trade negotiations with Kenya, which is one of Africa's uh, biggest economies. And um, this New York Times article I was uh, reading about was talking about how all these companies uh, want to continue uh, exporting plastic garbage. Um, frame of reference for, for everyone out there, uh, you can go to lastbeachcleanup.org and if you find their uh, plastic waste exports, I had no idea about this, but over, this is an insane number, over 18 billion kilograms of plastic have been shipped overseas in the past 10 years. So just... <laughs> Just in the last year, we've, we've exported 1.7 billion kilograms of plastic all over the world. And we'll send it to places like Bangladesh, India, um, and then just recently, actually, 
China has closed many of its ports to importing plastic waste. And that was in 2018. In response to that, in 2019, um, all the plastic exports to Africa quadrupled. So, yeah, so what we're seeing now is, is like what we saw uh, in that movie. You have waste just being dumped on poorer nations. And you know, they, they, they literally buy our trash. And in, in some of these countries, um, you know, less than 15% of it is actually recycled. That's the whole guise that they, they say they're going to buy it under and then they'll recycle it. But it's often the hardest to recycle materials that are exported because it just incurs a higher cost. And uh, recently, um, as part of the um, United Nations, there is a uh, there was a um, bill passed. It was the it was called um, the Basel Convention, which is talking about plastic waste um, being shipped around the world. Because what we'll have often is huge amounts of plastic waste sent to a developing world, and then it's often thrown back onto ships and then sold to another third world country. That's so, actually that's actually not a new thing though. Uh, yeah, like a concept to me. I, I had no idea about this. Please elaborate on, on how this is well, nothing new because I, I wish well, it was well, something new. It it doesn't surprise me this is a old well, business well, practice. The the point I was gonna make is that the Basel Convention itself isn't new. We've known about this problem for a very long time. That convention was actually open to signature in nineteen eighty nine. So after I was born, but before you were. Mm-hmm. And uh, it entered force internationally in like nineteen ninety two. Uh, and as of uh, 2018, 186 uh, states in the European Union are party to the convention. Uh, the two countries have signed it but not ratified it. Do you know who those countries are? Us and China. Us and Haiti. Oh. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and you're right. Like the, I, I pulled up a chart about this a minute ago, and this is up till 2018. We ship, we've shipped 12.3 metric, uh, 12.3 million metric tons of plastic waste to China and Hong Kong up till 2018 when they closed their borders to us. Yeah. Uh, about 1 million metric tons to India, uh, a half a million metric tons to Indonesia, another half million to Malaysia, uh, 200,000 metric tons to Thailand, 400,000 to Vietnam, and uh, 15.2 million metric tons to other countries with uh high management rates, which means very poor countries that aren't going to manage it well. And this is something that I touch on a lot on this podcast, and I know you do too. This is kind of what happens when you allow the market to try to solve these problems instead of having collective action solve these problems. Instead of having regulations on plastic waste and recycling, instead of sponsoring a Green New Deal and opening up recycling plants and uh, taking care of our waste domestically, we find these guys find a greater profit in just shipping it off so it's out of sight, out of mind. And it's designed for you not to care about this and not to know about it. But, you know, the information is out there, as Rocco is going to tell you in much more detail than I am going to. Yeah, it's just, it's insane. Now you have, like, us not being part of, you know, the the client, the 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 uh, climate accords that were uh, in Paris and, you know, we're, we're backing out of all these different international organizations. And one of them being, you know, um, the export of, of plastics and it's going to hurt us because we're actually not able to export plastics to any of those people who are um, involved in the Basel convention. So of those 180 countries, we, we can't send them plastic trash. I would say that's a great thing. 
and we can't do that. And we should be prevented from sending all of these problems uh, abroad. People in Australia actually have uh, stated that they're not exporting their trash anymore. They've they've come to terms with the fact that it's our waste. We're going to deal with it. So they're 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 being the adults in the room internationally. Meanwhile, you have tons of lobbyists right now that are, are trying to get involved in the uh, Kenyan trade uh, agreements. So that way we can start shipping all of our single-use plastic uh, abroad. And it's because the United States consumes more plastic than just about everybody. Uh, we I, it, we really do. I'm, I mean, I'm looking around myself right now. I'm, I'm sitting on my porch in Florida. And yes, it, it's, it's super hot. But I'm looking around myself right now. I've got uh, single-use, or not a single-use, but a disposable lighter for my cigar that I'm smoking. I've got a plastic cup that I have my gin in. I've got a plastic bottle of Gatorade that I just drank. That's all single-use plastics. And I'm I'm trying to be a very environmentally conscious dude. <laughs> and it's ridiculous. Oh, I have my uh, I have my disposable uh, crappy broom for my porch too. So Rocco would be super happy about that. That's about the third one that I bought. Uh, in grooms. Yeah. It's, it's stuff like that though. It's it's every little thing. And what sucks is that we as Americans we think. I know, I've I've heard a lot of people say this, and um, maybe in jest, I've said it myself: is I recycle, I, I do my part. You know, everyone's like trying to be all uh, up on and being environmentally conscious, and like I recycle. And it's like that's great, you recycle, you put the things in the bin, nice. Unfortunately, that gets put on a truck, and then that gets taken to a ship, and then that ship sends it over to Indonesia, and then it goes into their landfill. You didn't recycle shit, and we have all these lobbyists. Who continued to, you know, vie for? Um, it's over 350 new chemical plants uh, in the industry that are representing oil um, and natural gas. Over 350 new chemical plants are in the works right now in Appalachian and Texas, and that is in response to saving all of the jobs that were lost to the coal industry. But it's an insane idea to me to take an outdated technology like coal. And then transfer those people to jobs that are also going to be equally outdated in, in a couple decades. You know, we're, we're transferring people from one awful, you know, uh, power producing system to now a insanely large plastic exporting machine. How, how is this sustainable at all? And what, what I've heard recently from uh, people on the far right and at the RNC specifically, um, very interesting uses of language. Um, at the RNC, they were actually calling people on the left environmental extremists, and good. And this, that, in this case, it's a good thing to be an environmental extremist. The, the planet it, is on fire. It blew my mind. Like <laughs> these people have the audacity to call like you know all these um, eco-friendly um, ideas and the Green New Deal, and they think that people on the radical left are the extremists. Meanwhile, these lobbyists and, and oil companies, they're they're doubling down on all these massive um, you know, chemical plants to just flood the world with more plastic when I think we can all agree that you know, this is a problem that our great, great, great grandchildren are gonna be having to deal with, the immense amounts of plastic. And these, these are just the ones that we know about. Like um, in the United States, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty insulated from the effects of plastics. Like I said, you, know, you, you recycle, but it goes somewhere else in the world. And I've, I've traveled to Europe and Thailand, um, you know, in, in Asia, uh, in places I was at in Thailand, it's like you just see whole streams and rivers just filled with plastic bags, straws, and lids. Um, it's, it's just when you see it yourself, it's just insane. Um, but you know, in these developing countries, that's just the way of life that, that they've adopted because they've seen the West do it, and they've seen other industrialized 
quote unquote civilized countries do this. And it's like, we're just polluting our own spaces. And, and that's just business as usual for oil and uh, natural gas producers as the um, boom for uh, domestic oil uh, is increasing. Uh, we're just going to see uh, a bigger convention for people trying to advocate for the export of plastics. So it's just terrible stuff. I, I, it's plain as day. You see what they're doing. They're trying to you know, flood Africa with plastics. And, you know, this is this is their agenda. These are the people who uh, are filling Trump's swamp right now as people who are advocating for all of these ideas. And they think this is a good idea and they think it's sustainable. But I'd argue that all these things, we, we can't do this forever. Have, have you seen the Great Pacific uh, Garbage Island? I've heard about it uh, in the sense that um, like I mean, there isn't an actual island. Like you can't visit it and like yeah. you know lounge on it and have my ties. But like <laughs> um, if you were to aggregate all of like the tens of thousands of of hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions bits of plastic, yeah. all of their particulate size combined would create an island I think about the size of Texas if yeah, it was in, point, in, in the Pacific. It, it's 1.7 million kilometers uh, surface area is how much it would have. If you aggregated all of it, these numbers are insane. Like They're, I can't yeah. even fathom something that large, let alone eighteen, you know, billion kilos. What does that yeah. look like? I mean, how many trucks of cocaine is that? I mean, like that, that's the kind of unit I need to like even fathom just how much plastic is being sent around the world. And it's every year, millions of pounds are thrown into ships and sent abroad. It's an insane amount, and we just. Just, they don't want to share that. Exxon Mobil doesn't want to promote that or BP. You know, they're showing advertisements of themselves um, coming out as you know the advocates for you know, uh, restoring the natural order to the climates that they destroyed in you know, Louisiana and elsewhere. Meanwhile, they're shipping plastic over to third world countries that have no capacity to even deal with uh, the problems. We're just offloading our problems somewhere else, which harks back to colonialism. You know, you can get away with so much if people are disassociated from those who are actually suffering from your actions. If you put them in another country, if you send that trash somewhere else, you can continue to do this indefinitely. And they have been for so long, but luckily due to the internet and just mass information uh, being spread around, it's it's up to us now to combat this and say no more. This These practices that have been going on for over a hundred years now to the detriment of the planet, we can't do this anymore. One, one thing that I, I would like to touch on that you know and I know as we're talking about this, but some people might be confused to, to hear us talking about petrochemical companies as we're talking about plastics. But plastics are a direct byproduct of the petrochemical industry. So as, as, you're, as you're buying plastic one-use products, you're actually supporting those giant petrochemical companies that we all know and love like Exxon, BP, etc. Because a, a lot of um, petrochemicals go into the manufacture of plastic. And that's something that we definitely don't appreciate. You definitely, when you're, when you're buying your Dixie cups at the store for your, your barbecue on Friday, I'm projecting a little bit because I like barbecuing, but you don't, <laughs> you're not thinking that like, oh, petrochemicals went into this. You're thinking that it may, came from the plastics place or maybe mm -hmm. like a rubber tree or something, but you're not realizing how many harmful petrochemicals are being used in the construction of that. And the other thing I kind of wanted to touch on is you were absolutely right. It was a great point that you made where you're talking about replacing jobs in Appalachia uh, with, with these uh, petrochemical jobs that are just as harmful as coal. On the one hand, like you're, you're tempted to be angry at the workers. Don't be angry at the workers. These people, um, especially in coal country that have been devastated by the effects of neoliberal capitalism over the past few decades, are just trying to make their way in the world. They're trying to support their families. And if we set up a system where the only jobs that they can get productively 
uh, to live a decent and dignified life are in the petrochemical industry. They're going to have to take those jobs. What we're proposing is collective action to build an economy that's based on green energy, that gives people jobs where they have dignity and they can live a decent life and making a decent wage without destroying the planet, which is entirely possible. And it is a political choice that we're making right now to have these petrochemical jobs replacing coal jobs that has uh, single-use plastics uh, dominating our consumer culture, that has you know millions of kilometers of plastic waste in the Pacific Ocean, that's exporting plastic waste to other countries. That, that's that's, that's a, a very important thing to consider. Yeah, it's just people just taking the jobs they get, you know, yeah, yeah. in these places. I mean, it's same thing with inner cities and like in really disenfranchised communities. Like, oh, why are you selling drugs? I literally can't make a living doing anything else in, in, yeah. in some instances. Like, in, and it's it's a constant pattern to where you'll see companies, corporations, and these large entities that will prey on the fact that parents will work themselves to death, do very dangerous things, and very even unethical things, things they might not even agree with deep down, like, you know, fracking and and pump and oil out of the country and then you know we're working at a dow chemical plant that's polluting their local river and then they got to ho- go home to that and every time they hit the faucet you know these 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 pollutants and, and these terrible things are, are affecting their family or you know in some areas where they have like the quote-unquote clean coal initiatives going on you have towns that are being affected uh, affected by asthma and other respiratory illnesses so we have the epa for a reason and i think that all these examples just show that these corporate entities have no incentive to really, you know, preserve human life, and then to really, you know, think about the second and third order effects of the future of the health of communities and such, because it's going to cut into their bottom line for one. Um, and actually, that's really the only reason they need to really not care. Um, and which is why, you know, anyone who's um, of the uh, uh, libertarian uh, variety, uh, <laughs> I, I would encourage you to look at just the Environmental uh, Protection Agency and just and just think to yourself, you know. W- would any of these companies have cut down their emissions? Would any of these companies have, you know, not put lead in the water? Would any of these companies have uh, put CO2 scrubbers on their equipment by themselves because it was for the public good? Well, and no. The answer is you know, no. Really, yeah, and no, like these huge companies, no. I mean, you you could probably they would do it in the areas where they lived. Like they probably wouldn't dump the tech the the textile runoff into the river that they drink from but for the workers absolutely you're also assuming that they built it where they lived which they never do (laughs) (laughs) you got me there you got me on that one but but you're totally right though that 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 is like a key component is that these these plants are first of all built in really you know uh, usually uh, pretty disenfranchised communities you know and it's like then they need jobs and what what else they're going to do work for dow chemical okay you know, it's just it's just kind of the way things uh, operate in some parts of America, which is just a tragedy where people don't have the opportunity and variety of, of, of jobs. You know, and then this is what happens when you have, you know, like um, one town that relies on one industry so heavily. Because then, you know, it, it's a shame when um, it's like, you know, your local mom and pops and, and small businesses and then all the local farmers get pushed out. And then you have these corporate entities that come in and, and that's who you work for. You have really no other options. And they're often, you know, not union. They're not safe. They're not good for the communities. And like I keep coming back, it's not sustainable. 
all I had about exporting plastics to Africa. And just it blew my mind. I, I had no idea that these companies would sink that low. And, oh. and that, 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 that was even a business practice. I didn't know that we were shipping out so much plastic. It just it makes me sick. Well, I mean, it makes a lot of people sick, literally. Ugh, it's just sad, you know. It, it absolutely is. I'm good. Yeah, so the, that, that does lead us into the next story, though. You, were ta- you wanted to talk about the EPA this week. Yeah, um, Andrew Wheeler, your your energy lobbyist in charge of, you know, the Environmental Protection Agency. He's he's a climate change denier. He was the chairman of NERO, which is the National Energy Resources Organization. Um, who are these gentlemen? Um, Exxon Mobil, BP, just to name a few. Um, so he's he's a he was a coal lobbyist. Um, this dude, bad dude. Um, and and just this week. Um, they rolled back restrictions on what kind of awful pollutants that coal power plants can put into the water. Um, in uh, the Obama administration, uh, 2018, uh, he uh, went after a piece of uh, regulation uh, from the EPA about uh, coal plants, and it hadn't been actually amended or touched since 1980. So he was updating it, thankfully, on the behalf of the American people to whom he served for for our general good well-being of not only this generation but the next. Uh, he you know made a bunch of restrictions on what kind of um, byproducts could be you know put into the water. Uh, what were like the parts per million restrictions that could be put in the water. And that has since been um, turned away. 175 coal-powered plants were going to have to undergo um, renovation and they're going to have to have upgrades. Um, meanwhile, like they're still running. It isn't like they got shut down. Like They are still continuing to operate, but they were going to have to, over time, implement measures to decrease uh, their pollutants going into uh, the local area. And now that list uh, has gone down to about 75. So we lost about 100 of those plants that are just going to keep operating business as usual. And, and what are they putting in the water? Uh, it's going to be lead, selenium. Um, I don't even know what that is, but it sounds probably it's not, not great. It, it's bad. It's really bad. It's one of the, uh, I believe I it's one of the forever bad. chemicals. Uh, like, um, it just doesn't go away. Like, accumulate in your body. And Yeah. The ones that, the ones that we got contaminated with when we were um, serving our country in the military. Now, I, I put up my right hand knowing that that might be the risk. Yeah, me too. And but, that's okay in, 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 a, in a weird kind of way because um, yeah. I, I was incurring that risk. I knew that was maybe part of the deal, like same thing way firefighters know that they got to deal with some fire. Mm-hmm. Um, but the little kids who live in these communities, what did they do? Like They, they, they were just born in America, and now they're, they're going to be um, drinking water with lead, selenium, and arsenic in it. And if you look on my Twitter, at uh, Space Rocco, I posted a picture. I actually looked into the um, PDF uh, of the uh, 2015 amendment for uh, the EPA to uh, limit um, all these kind of chemicals going to the water. And it, it was it, I was kind of shocked, but I, I don't think I, I should have been because there was a chart and it showed option A through F, option A being the most uh, benefit. Uh, uh, you know, benefiting like just the greater public and F being like the worst. And the metrics they were using was how many children are going to lose IQ points. What What is the cumulative loss of the IQ levels of children across our country? And how will option A through F affect the children of the nation? Option A was the best and it affected very few because in, and there's this world isn't perfect. 
and then there's option F, which you know significantly is higher and and increasing the risk. Um, there's I don't think a perfect system to reduce to zero, but I feel like we should all be striving to head towards that place to have an idea of an optimistic future to where we are caring about um, what's going into the water that will affect our children. I mean, just look at what was happening in Flint. They finally have replaced the water pipes in Flint. You know, and something something very like years, you know. So something very important to note about Flint too, and it goes to what we're talking about right now. When they first replaced the water supply of Flint with the contaminated water, the local auto parts factory noticed that the water was so contaminated that it was corroding the auto parts that they were washing it with. So the unelected emergency commissioner who controlled that, who was appointed by the Republican governor of Michigan at the time, uh switched the auto plants water back to the clean water but not the people of flint michigan so they had people in their leadership in that state that directly put profits above people and you just look at you look at the photos that were ever taken you got like you know people who are bathing in that water like and they literally have like skin conditions now and who knows, you know, how that will affect, you know, uh, lead contributions to, you know, the public education system of, of how it will affect all of these um, child's development. I mean, there are so many things that, you know, we can't measure and that just kind of go into the wayside because these people don't have very strong advocates, unfortunately. They, the, the person who's supposed to be protecting the average American from business and from people abusing uh, our environment is the EPA. That's the whole reason it was designed. And to have a coal lobbyist and a climate change denier in the Environmental Protection Agency, it's just ludicrous because Trump, you know, he came in on the uh, idea that he was going to drain the swamp. Meanwhile, he's just filled it. And um, yeah, it's just it's business as usual. So there you go. Another another week in the life of uh, Andrew Wheeler, just, you know, giving it to the american people meanwhile you know he's gonna get who knows what kickbacks from big energy lobbyists because they're gonna they're gonna save so much money on not having to install um all these systems and scrubbers that'll uh, protect the water so yeah this this week it's the water um last month it was the air you yeah know, it's like these people these you know, they, they they have no incentive to, to worry about american lives or anyone's and, lives and they are killing them. thousands of americans with this like every year yeah. thousands of americans die from this uh, thousands more Americans die than have died in the the forever wars that we've been in from environmental pollution like this every year. So that that's something that you also have to take into account. It does burn me, <laughs> and it does amaze me that they literally named their uh, lobby group Nero. Yeah, like like the the dude who's famous for allegedly uh, fiddling while the city of Rome burned to the ground around him, and these people are are doing that. <laughs> they're they're fiddling while the country burns to the ground around us. And mm -hmm. I know I know we talk about this a lot, and I know everyone talks about this, but I, I want to kind of hammer it home. The EPA was established by arch-right-winger Richard Nixon after the Cuyahoga River caught on fire. A river, which is a body of water, became so polluted that it caught on fire, and they couldn't put it out. That's insane. Uh, and, and it's happening now, too, to a lot of people. There's an older movie now, I guess. It's a little older, called Gasland, that talks about uh, fracking. Yeah, And uh, it, it shows this guy, and this really hit me years ago when I saw this film, but it shows this guy that his, his water is so polluted by the natural gas from the fracking that when he turns on his faucet, he can light a match next to his uh, running water and set it on fire. <laughs> it, it, this, this is not what this country was designed to be. This country wasn't designed to be a few people making 
unimaginable profit while everybody else has to live with water that's flammable or mercury in their water or have their children have developmental disabilities because you know a company had to make just a little bit more money so they had to dump the lead into the the drinking water uh, we like to say that we have equal opportunity in this country but what kind of equal opportunity do we have when people are living with the toxic effects of chemicals for for their whole lives while uh, extremely privileged people don't ha can isolate themselves from that with the profits they make off of exploiting those people and immiserating them by polluting their environment that that's not equal opportunity that's not american values that's late stage capitalism just really sticking it to the worker one more time and it, it, it's it's sickening to hear about it but we can't look away we have to realize that we have an administration in power right now that's appointed a sickening coal lobbyist and climate change denier to allegedly protect us from the effects of the coal lobby and environmental climate change uh I, that, that's that's what i got on that one brother i don't know how you feel about that i mean i do know how you feel about yeah that. i mean it's just you, you can't make it up i mean the, the obama regulations that, that he passed i mean it stopped 1.4 billion pounds of waste going into water 1.4 billion pounds of waste I wish that like we could see it like on trucks and we could drive it through towns and people could like really like, look at it or like like uh it's football sunday you know yeah. pretend that it's not rona time and uh you know every football stadium hey uh your area this is uh this is how many trucks of waste you got this this month or the year or whatever like people just don't see it and that's like the scary um slow burns that you just don't see in the background meanwhile like they just they're just going to keep pumping this stuff in the water because they just they just don't care it's all about the shareholders for them and then yeah it, it gets it gets really gross because what i'm seeing now is i'm starting to connect some dots um with with things that are happening if you'll let me uh, press forward we can maybe try and oh, connect please, together here please do uh, i i do have a little bit of a story about how it's globally interconnected at the end of this but go ahead so the Bureau of Land Management right now is um, headed uh, by William Perry Pendley. He hasn't actually been appointed, but he, he's been acting um, uh, head of the of the BLM for about a year now. And this guy, uh, he's a former president of the Mountain States Legal Foundation. You think, oh, that sounds nice. But actually, they're a bunch of advocates for buying federal land that they're then going to mine and drill and frack and they're trying to take away our public land, literally. That's what these guys advocate for. He's a climate change denier. 1992, he said the ozone layer wasn't a thing. Um, How do you yeah. say ozone layer is not a thing? It's, I don't know, man. He's like, I mean, it's not a hole. And yeah, he's called people who believe in climate change kooks. And yeah, uh, so this is this is the guy. <laughs> we're the kooks. Just in case somebody is listening to this who doesn't necessarily believe in climate change, NASA has a really nifty website that they've cobbled together that shows you the, the 90 some odd percent uh, consensus on climate change and how much humans are affecting climate. So you can go to climate.nasa.gov to actually see like uh, an amalgamation of all of the evidence. So please do that if you don't believe in climate change or if you have somebody who, in your life who doesn't believe in climate change, send them there. Or if you just really want to get angry and see how much pollution that we're putting in the environment, going over to the NASA website. You can, you can look at the Hubble telescope and feel a little happier after you're done. Meanwhile, the Perseverance is heading to Mars, and that should land next year. So look forward to that. Yeah. But yeah, the climate change stuff—that's it—it's real. It—it's happening, and people like yeah, William Penley just—they just don't believe in it because it doesn't line up with their agenda. So 
uh, William Penley, and then he has a homie, Joseph Baelish. Uh, he was the former assistant secretary uh, for the land and minerals management, which is uh, an office of the Department of the Interior. Hmm. And these two gentlemen have been implicated by the Department of the Interior's inspectors general. The inspectors general found these two guys overinflated and overplayed the cost of the BLM office in D.C., which was really the main crux of the argument for sending the office to Grand Junction, Colorado, middle of nowhere, where the BLM wouldn't have really a seat in Washington. They'd be so far away. So that just came out, and I'm super excited about it because this is what inspectors generals do for us. They advocate for the American people. He found that these guys had overinflated uh, their ideas about what the, the cost would be for, for sending uh, the BLM to, to, be, uh, to Grand Junction, Colorado. So hopefully the BLM will come back to uh, Washington, which is uh, kind of what was uh, the undercurrent um, on that Hill article, was that hopefully the BLM office will come back to DC. But what's really weird is I was diving into Joseph Baelish. So this guy, uh, he now works for a Papua New Guinea drilling company. Is he related to Peter Baelish, the little finger? I don't think so. Probably might... as, as evil, which is, uh, <laughs> you know. Um, and then this actually relates to a story that I brought up last month, which was that 1.7 million acres of the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge in Alaska was opened for drilling under the Trump administration. This guy, Baelish, he oversaw all of that two years ago. They, they've been trying to get this passed you know, for, for a long time. And this guy was uh, intimately familiar with you know, the Department of the Interior, working as the, uh, the assistant secretary for land and minerals management. And he's now left uh, to this Papua New Guinea uh, company that is going to try and get contracts in Alaska. This isn't normal. This, like, I can't, this is I, insane. This, this, isn't, this isn't how healthy societies run themselves. The, this isn't this isn't productive, and you know uh, I don't care for Joe Biden personally as as a presidential candidate. I'm going to be voting for Joe Biden because as bad as Joe Biden is, he is committed to not banning fracking already. But he's not going to do stuff like this. <laughs> this is this is extreme uh, extreme and obvious corruption that we haven't seen in this country for at least like 150 years. This, this this is this is not normal, people, and this is something again that we can't look away from. They're opening up one of the last unspoiled wildlife refuges in in the country to drilling, which is going to destroy that refuge. They're putting chemicals in your water. They're denying that manifestly obvious climate change exists, and this this isn't a problem that's going to be confined to the United States. This is this is a global problem. And we're contributing to it by exporting plastic waste. We're ex contributing to it by not doing anything about climate change in our country. We're, we're contributing to it by electing people who say that climate change is a Chinese hoax and then appoint people like this guy to high, high offices in, in our federal government, which is supposed to be the mechanism by, by which we respond to these problems. I, I just, I, I wish it wasn't, true i yeah, i take no pleasure in in pointing out these facts because i think they're objective facts like i'm, I'm getting it from the new york times i'm getting it from the hill i'm getting it from reuters like um these these are trusted news uh, installations that uh, that do great great reporting and 
you know, they're, they're often seconded and thirded by, you know, a, a couple dozen scientists usually. You know, it's like we got to listen to these experts, these people who are really fundamentally and intimately involved in the issues of conservation of the environment, of, you know, how, um, you know, local wildlife are going to be affected. It's like these people are, are, are yelling at, you know, the rest of America. Like, you got to watch this. Look at what they're doing and just how intertwined these people are. Like, this just blows my mind. And it's weird, like, how he's going down to Papua New Guinea. <laughs> Maybe a speculation, but I'm thinking that they don't have super advanced laws on fracking and drilling. So, if you base a company in a different country, they have to abide by local laws. But what are those exactly? They might not have as an advanced EPA equivalent as what we have in the United States. So, who knows what kind of regulation that that these people are going to have i mean if you go to you, you drop a you know an oil company in a country that doesn't have any oil um they're they're not going to have any regulations so <laughs> well that, that's part that, of, that, that's, that's a bit of a speculation that, on my part uh, on that, that but it's, it's freaking weird how he went to this papua new guinea company and now he's trying to get um you know oil and drilling uh, land leases in alaska that that he was the one who drafted up the oil and land leases so i'm guessing he's probably going to know all the good stuff. Yeah. That, that's you part know of what it. I mean? Like, that's it, definitely part of it. But it's definitely part of it. But another motivation that they have when they do that is that yeah. uh, uh, jobs aren't the only thing that get offshored. By the way, job, jobs offshoring accelerated under Trump. But the other thing that they offshore is corporate profits. So when they go to countries like Papua New Guinea that have very low corporate tax rates, they get to avoid paying a lot of taxes. And meanwhile, these are all American investors, I'm sure, that are yeah. all going to be pumping money into these entities because it really doesn't matter like where you drop it. When you have that many, when you have resources on the scale that they do, they'll drop it in any country they like because they can put, they can get a lawyer anywhere. Yes. And they don't, and they'll do the paperwork. They'll go through the tax codes. They'll figure out all the loopholes and they'll find the place that's most advantageous to them, which is why these um, areas like special zoning for corporations and things like that, like it's creepy stuff. Because the people who are writing those, they're not doing it for the benefit of the American people. They only really care about their own corporate profits. They'll do it under the guise of jobs. It's always jobs. It's always the thing they say. And this is another libertarian argument of like, if you keep taxing companies, how are they going to be able to employ anybody? Well, if, if we don't tax these companies and we don't stop them from dumping water, they're actually going to kill everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, and then, then they're not going to have anyone to sell stuff to. And they're going to be in a whole world of hurt. Like, I wish they... I don't know. Give me Dow Chemical on the phone. Like, I gotta let them know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can call. You can call them up. I think. I think the Dow Chemical area is actually still in jail for murder, but uh, oh. you, you can definitely call the company. <laughs> that's a. That's that's a not. What, what's funny is that that murder that he went to jail for wasn't the Bhopal chemical spill. It wasn't any of the thousands of Americans that Dow Chemical was killed with uh, pollution. It was a. Uh, he went crazy and shot an Olympic wrestler. <laughs> he went to jail for that. But damn. Yeah, but you know. He he should be in jail for all of the awful things that Dow Chemical did. Yeah, you can watch that in uh, Team Foxcatcher. It's a really cool movie. There's a book too, I believe, and it's, it's very, 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 uh, very interesting uh, true crime story for you kids out there who want to kind of take a break from this <laughs> and read about another crazy story. But at the same time, we really can't look away from this. And I know I keep saying that, but like the the people that we're talking about right now are relying on you looking away from this. They're relying yeah. on you not realizing that uh, plastic waste is a problem because there isn't a landfill in your town. There might be a landfill in your town. You're probably super aware of it. I, I spent a little bit of time uh, twice, actually, in my life in Pensacola, Florida, in and around Pensacola, Florida, which is right on the panhandle. 
And there's actually a Superfund site there. And that's one of the ways that I'm really aware of environmental policy. Are you aware of like, what a Superfund site is? Oh, man. Am I going to like it? No, not well, kind of. Uh, maybe. No. Uh, a super, super, a, a super, a super fun fi- site is basically one of the most polluted areas in the country that the EPA oh. kind of has to take over and regulate. Uh, so I actually took the time to go out and kind of see what the super fun site looked like, and it, it, it astonished me. <laughs> and, th- and that was after they were, had started cleaning it up. Uh, I don't recommend actually going to see a Superfund site, guys. Uh, Google images it. It's always going to smell bad, and it's always going to really freak you out. But yeah, it blows my mind like how much co- companies expect the taxpayer to pick up the pieces, mm-hmm. like like oil spills and like all these other things that are, that are happening, like with the the dumping of arsenic lead and everything else in the water. Like they just expect like there's the taxpayer to pick up the tab every time. Like it, it's insane. I mean, like BP, they uh, they did clean up a lot of their own oil by uh, cleaning up's like too kind because all they did was just spray dispersants, which is toxic. Like, which is toxic. They just covered one chemical with another chemical. So once again, you don't see it. That's like their pattern of like, oh, I don't see any plastic. <laughs> it's in Bangladesh. I don't see any oil. Oh yeah, it went to the bottom of the water because you sprayed dispersants <laughs> on it. Like these things don't just go away. And but, like I, I remember, like I, I in my greenhouse, even like I had a hornet's nest inside of my house, mm. and I, I hit it with much of raid. And then like as the weeks went by, I actually noticed that the dead hornets were going into my greenhouse, and I kept just finding dead hornets everywhere. And just because you know, and those were like you know a hundred feet apart, those two you know separate uh, events of finding all the dead you know bugs, and then were actually sprayed. But that stuff it goes wherever they flied and died. And then who knows what ate that? You know, it was like what happened with DDT in response to uh, cutting down on mosquito populations. Tons of birds eat mosquitoes. Bald eagles. And specifically bald eagles were dying because of all the DDT that they were, by being you know, apex you know, birds of prey, it goes up the food chain. And that's, these things don't just disappear. You know, they, you know, if, they go somewhere and they, it's, gotta be, it's gonna be someone's problem. Like though, it, it's, there's nothing for free. Like if, that, if that isn't a metaphor for what we're doing right now, though, I don't know what is. We literally almost drove our national bird that we always, all of us. I, I right. love the, I love the bald eagle. I post bald eagle memes every now and then. I, you know, I, I actually have a suit jacket for Fourth of July with a big bald eagle on the back of it that look like I'm an '80s wrestler. It's awful, but oh, yeah, my man, yeah, yeah. Gonna gonna celebrate the birth of the country so good, yeah, but. If that isn't a metaphor for what we're doing, that we almost killed our national bird for corporate profits, then I, I don't know what it is. I mean, yeah. it, it's kind of darkly funny, but it's also very sad. <laughs> and I shudder to think about what would happen if it wasn't the bald eagle. What if it was like some really, I don't know, ugly lizard that was like mildly poisonous that like wasn't really marketable? Because that's what really sucks also about conservation is that like if, yeah. if the thing that's becoming endangered isn't like cute, cozy, and cuddly, like it's hard to raise money for that, which is just so sad on so many levels that it's come it to that. But let's say like, yeah, it wasn't our national bird dying if it was some like, you know, uh, odd platypus in like Southwest like uh, Arizona, like and easily people couldn't have cared. Like that easily could have happened because, you know, it's just, it's all about having uh, ideas that are that are marketable. In this case, saving the uh, national bird was was pretty marketable, and luckily it stopped uh, the spread of DDT. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, see, but, yeah. It, but it took it took public outcry to stop people poisoning our our country. Yeah. Well, uh, on a good note, Jake the Snake Roberts did use the DDT 
as his finishing move. So one good thing came of it. Yeah, fair point. <laughs> fair point. Fair point. <laughs> Think of the shareholders in the DDT Corporation, though. How much money they must have lost. <laughs> Think of the shareholders. Yeah, right. yeah it, it's it, it's nuts, man. It... <laughs> yeah. Oh. It's, it's pretty apparent. I mean, like, during the Bush administration, um, you know, I think about the war profiteering, like, Bush didn't really scare me too much. Cheney, though, that man was a psychopath. Um, <laughs> well, you know, that's that's one of the reasons why Bush is so pernicious, I think, is that he yeah. he, he doesn't scare people because he, he looks so affable and dumb. But Yeah, but Cheney fucking shot a guy. Cheney shot a guy in the face. <laughs> like, <laughs> was the not one that, that long ago, a vice president of the United States shot a guy. This is also well, the, the Halliburton war profiteer, like, who's the, really the one that we know started. about. Our, our military industrial complex to a point where I see it as uh, no stop in sight. No, <laughs> no, it won't. It won't ever stop. We can we can do a whole episode on the uh, birth of the military industrial complex. I think that'd be that'd be a worthy topic. Yeah, it would. Well. It, but, on the list. It, it is. Uh, Imperials in their lists. In, Imperials in their imperialists in their lists in this case. Yeah. Right. But, uh, you know, uh, speaking of war profiteers, I did want to talk about something that came out about our uh, glorious uh, pro-veteran president this week. Uh, did you did you see what uh, came out about what Trump said about uh, our, our honored war dead? I, n I heard that. All right. So um, yeah. there was three battles the 3rd Infantry Division fought, and it was, it was the Meuse-Argonne, yep. uh, the Aisne-Marne, and Sammy Hill. Um, and then he, he didn't go to the Aisne-Marne. For some reason, oh, and he didn't want he didn't want to get his hair wet. Oh, it was raining in France. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like I can't even imagine that. I mean, this is also a man who didn't visit our troops in Iraq up until like about two and a half years into his presidency, and then did so, and then did so only for an hour without alerting the Iraqi government and caused a mild international incident. But what he said was that he didn't know why anyone would enlist in the military, and that all of the war dead in those cemeteries were suckers and losers this wow like okay anyone listening to this is probably on the left and you might not like our imperialist foreign policy that's fine i don't like it either i don't think rocco likes it either not a fan but the men and women who are in those cemeteries there's a few women believe it or not in those cemeteries from world war one uh, who are in those cemeteries stood up and fought for this country they gave the full measure of their lives to in world war one to guarantee democracy in europe and make the world safer for democracy that's literally the reason why we um, stated why we went into world war one and we have a draft dodging coward game show host president who insults them casually in conversation with his aides and this story, by the way, was confirmed by Fox News of all places. He even insulted Robert Kelly, who was one of his uh, top administrative people. Uh, he insulted his son in Arlington Cemetery when he basically repeated the same thing, that he couldn't understand why people would be soldiers and that they were, they were suckers and losers. If this doesn't enrage you as an American, I don't know what does. We have a failed right-wing media establishment now that's either denying that it happened or defending his comments. We have a president who thinks that our brothers and sisters in uniform who are, are standing ready to give the full measure of their lives for this country, for the potential of what this country could be, calling them suckers and losers. This, this uh, Of all the things that he's done, well, actually, literally everything he does infuriates me, but this is a new low. 
for this country. Even if we've had presidents that might have believed this in the past, and I don't doubt that we probably have, the fact that he was willing to just say this out loud, it, it, it's, it's dishonorable for this, to this country. And at this point, if, if you're defending this or if you're denying that this happened, you're dishonoring yourself. You're dishonoring our, our war dead, who any country should probably view as with uh, some level of sacred reverence. And you're, you're dishonoring the people who wear the uniform. And if, if that, the Republican Party keeps saying that they're the party of the troops and the party of veterans, they've literally elected a man who thinks that troops, veterans, and our, our war dead are, are suckers and losers. And I, I don't know how to talk to people who defend those remarks and deny that they happened when they've been confirmed. I, I struggle with it. And I wonder, if, I wonder if you can help me out with that. I struggle with it too, um, mm. but I'm unfortunately not surprised because no. we knew that he felt this way before he was even president. Back in uh, 2015, um, I'm going to throw in some quotes here from Trump talking about um, Senator John McCain, who was a Vietnam veteran who was shot down over v Vietnam and was captured. Yes. And, and Trump said, quote, he was a war hero because he was captured. I like people who weren't captured. He lost and let us down. I've never liked him much after that. I don't like losers. Like, I, I, like the, the, he's talking about, you know, a, a veteran yeah. in, in this, in this way. Like it's, it's just, it's awful. And I, and I'm not a fan of John McCain. I'm not a fan of his policies. I'm not a fan of his politics, but that man, unlike Donald Trump stepped up during Vietnam and went to war well, whereas Donald Trump had to get a note from his daddy to say that he didn't have to go. And I wonder how his belly spurs are doing right now. I'm, I'm sure they're fine. I'm sure they're great. Well, actually, 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 he's like morbidly overweight, and I'm carrying a few extra pounds myself, but I'm not that fat. But uh, they might be, they might be acting up, man, because he doesn't look like he stands upright. Poor feller. I don't feel sorry for him at all. No, <laughs> that, that, that's the one thing that I've, I've kind of lost. Uh, uh, is uh, feeling pity for for monsters like Donald Trump, but this is this is something that might actually be an election issue. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it, a lot of people care about vets. A lot of people have a vet in the family, and to hear that the president thinks that those people are losers is yeah is is a serious issue. You should bring this up with people who you're close to who are thinking about voting for Trump. He's a, he's the commander in chief. You know, yeah. he's he's commanded over an army that has continued a uh, almost. Wait a minute. It'll, is it going to be? Oh, we got twenty oh, years. Twenty years. Twenty years next year. Next year. Next September. Do we get a watch? Uh, I hope so, man. You know, oh. you, you know, I hate, I hate Rand Paul, but the one cool thing yeah. that he did was he wanted to uh, he wanted to give a bonus to every soldier that fought in the war of like two thousand dollars. I thought that would have been nice. That'd be cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Something. I mean, it's just that blows my mind. There, there. You have twenty years of armed conflict and. I actually didn't hear anything about it uh, from. I didn't watch the RNC stuff, but I mean, I didn't hear anything you. about Afghanistan uh, from the Democrats, which I was I was kind of disappointed um, in uh, in Joe Biden. He said we're facing uh, the four greatest you know challenges of our times: um, the, back, the Black Lives Matter movement, which is good, and then the uh, the environment. He's talking about um, just the party of Donald Trump and how terrible it is, and then. Man, I can't recall the other issue, but like, yeah, Af the Afghan war just wasn't on the list. I just, I don't know. 
Maybe just because well, I'm just a little bitter about it. <laughs> yeah, well, you should you should be, and you know, you know, part of the awful establishment we've built over the years is that we've built a uh, establishment that can wage a war for twenty something years, and have the people be materially disattached from it, and therefore not care. But yeah. you know, uh, and we have a, a corporate media structure that's that's very in favor of war because they're owned by the same people that profit off of those wars. But yeah. but you know, if you say that, you're a communist. You don't love America. I do. You know, it's funny. (laughs) It's 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 always come back with that. It's like I don't remember seeing you in the desert. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, you know, one of the elements of fascism that we've discussed on this show before is that uh, Mm -hmm. uh, pacifism is 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 um, is sedition. So you know, and and it's something. There's an ancient Greek quote, and I I think it was Thucydides. But um, feel free to drag me in the comments or on my Twitter if I'm wrong about that one. But the quote is that uh, war is sweet to those who've never experienced it. And if you right. look, if you look at most of the war hawks in in our government, with some notable exceptions, they they're all people who have never experienced war, and, and who have Department of Defense contractors mm-hmm. like working um, extensively in their districts. Yes. Oh, weird correlation. One second, I need to turn the light on. There we go. Sorry. Very fun. It's getting a little dark. Yeah, but yeah, you're right. Uh, they have they have contractors in their districts. They have uh, weapons manufacturers in their district, maybe. Mm-hmm. But you know, they don't they don't actually care about the troops. And the other thing that Donald Trump has been trying to do, he took to, he took credit for the Veterans Choice Act, which was actually done under Obama. But uh, he's he's been trying to privatize the VA, which would be a terrible idea. And that's something that Rocco and I both are, are directly benefit from. I be open and honest. I, I seek uh, counseling from the VA. I get my health care right now through the VA. Um, I get, you know, we get the GI Bill through the VA. There's a number of benefits that we get as veterans through the VA, which is a public institution that was uh, found, founded to provide benefits for our soldiers, both the ones who serve the country honorably and the ones who uh, were wounded or uh, injured or otherwise seriously affected by their service to this country but they're they're trying to privatize the va so they view our veterans not as an end to to be served and to be to be thanked for their service through uh public benefit but they view them as a profit center and they'll argue that the va is a dysfunctional organization but uh we'll maybe post it in the description of this but you can look it up there's a, a rand corporation study the rand corporation is a uh, very famous uh very well regarded a corporation that does uh, impartial longitudinal studies on a number of issues that found that the VA, when it provides healthcare, is the equal of or not surpassing private care in the country. The problem with the VA is that it wasn't built up properly for the global war on terror and it still hasn't been funded. So access to that care is a serious issue in the VA and it's caused by people not funding our public institutions, which is something that we talk about constantly on this show. But, yeah. but anytime you hear privatize, just think mm. profitize. That's what they mean. Mm. That's exactly what they mean. And and I won't say it out loud, but you guys can look up which uh which regime in the 1930s invented the modern idea of privatizing public uh, sector goods. There's a certain there's a certain political party that invented that, and you probably don't like them. And they were in Germany, and it was the 1930s, and it wasn't the Social Democrats. I'm tapping my foot on the ground. Fascists, mm. you got it. Yeah, well, give that man a cigar. Well, actually, I'm smoking your cigar right now. I smoke your cigar. 
but <laughs> but that that does lead me into something else that uh, kind of came up just just today actually, and I wanted to do a bit of a dive into this. And Rocco, I know you're not as big of a critical theory uh, or philosophy dude as I am because I'm a very depressing nerd and enjoy reading continental philosophy. But that's what I depend on you for 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 doing the hard reading and <laughs> yeah. really getting into the issues because they're on such a scale yeah. that honestly, like I'm a technologist and I'm not really tapped into that world. But yeah. these are problems that are one of the many slow burns that are unseen by many to where they account and hope for that. that you, know, you don't know these are like patterns that have been run through history for centuries. It's the same rhetoric. It's the same ideas. But yeah, please elaborate on, on, on how we're on what we're seeing these days. So uh, to to just start you off a little bit before I get to the awful thing that Trump did this week, which, you know, is thing number 4,562, but 20,000 lies. Uh, yeah. Thank you. I, I actually I actually looked that up this week. And the last time I checked, it was like 12,000. And he's popped up to about 20. But yeah. uh, but in, in the 1920s, a bunch of uh, German nerds got together in uh, Frankfurt and they founded the Institute for Social Research, which gave birth to what we call critical theory today. And critical theory is actually super interesting and it's become super politicized for reasons I'm gonna get into. But some of the some of the dudes who founded that uh, institution were um, Theodore Adorno, who we talk about constantly on this because he's very applicable to our current cultural context, and Max Horkheimer, uh, among another uh, number of other people. And the Nazi party was coming to power around the same time that they founded this institution. And they promulgated a conspiracy theory that it was what they called Jewish Bolshevism, uh, what we now call cultural Marxism, and that they were a secret cabal of communists that were out to destroy the West. And they actually ran Adorno and Horkheimer out of, out of Europe and into New York, where they started doing analysis on popular culture and built the grounds for a critical theory that we're, we're still doing today. Uh, the Institute for Social Research actually still exists uh, today, and you can look into their publications. They use a lot of jargon, and it's a little hard to understand them. If you're going to do a dive into uh, the foundations of critical theory, I highly recommend reading a Dialectic of Enlightenment or anything by Horkheimer or Adorno. But that conspiracy theory migrated from Germany to the United States. Pat Robertson is a big fan of this theory. Uh, the modern failed right wing is a big fan of this conspiracy theory. You can go on failed right wing YouTube and see a lot of people talking about the cultural Marxists. Uh, which aren't a thing, really. Uh, Marx wrote about culture as the uh, as part of the structure and superstructure thing, and uh, critical theory is just a lens through which you view uh, economic, historical, and cultural uh, and structural factors that lead to um, different results. It, it's a really interesting and valuable thing, and there's been a conspiracy theory from the right who doesn't want you to examine what's actually going on in culture and uh, and excuse me, I'm going to start again on that one. It's a conspiracy theory from the right that doesn't want you to examine what's going on in culture and philosophy and economics and structures to get you to ignore critical theory and think that they're a cabal of evil people out to destroy the West. There's actually a 13-point plan that some dude made up wholesale in the 1950s about how the cultural Marxists were going to destroy the West that somehow just managed to line up exactly with his ideology, but it doesn't exist. And the reason I'm talking about this is that Donald Trump this week uh, came out and said that he was ending, quote unquote, critical race theory training for federal employees, and he's threatening to defund California's school curriculum from federal grant money, which includes 
public schools up to grade 12 and uh, California's colleges, if they don't change their curriculums to uh, not include what he labels as critical race theory. So we have a president right now who is literally repeating a Nazi conspiracy theory about contemporary philosophy. And he's using his power to end uh, inclusivity training, which I appreciate. Super annoying. Uh, Rocco and I both went through EO training in the U.S. Army, and it was never the most fun day. But it's, it's important because we need to build structures in our federal government that are inclusive to all of our citizens. And he's repeating this Nazi conspiracy theory to play to his base that has never read critical theory, isn't familiar with critical theory. And he's doing it because he's trying to win re-election. And he's trying to win re-election on the back of a Nazi conspiracy theory. And that just kind of freaked me out. My, I, I wish I wish you were wrong. I for 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 so long, like I remember you you, you kept telling me like, dude, like we're, we're seeing it. It's happening. Like this is literally the rise of fascism, dude. And I'm like, yeah. no, like no, no way, not not here, no way. And then I look up the 14 points of fascism, and then I'm like, oh shit, we're doing all <laughs> these things. And it hit me like all at once. And um, you know, we take no pleasure in this. Like this isn't fun. This isn't a good thing. I'm not happy to report this on this platform here, but we say these things because it's happening. It's, it's real. Whether you believe it or not, the objective reality is that these hyper-capitalists are running towards fascism. Yeah, and they're doing it under the guise of preserving our culture. They're doing it under the guise of, you know, fighting our enemy that is both very strong, but also very weak at the same exact time. And, you know, it's, it's always the fear of the others that we see, the constant misdirection and the fact that it's, it's not, you know, these awful, you know, companies that are exporting your jobs um, to other nations that are, you know, the, the key cause of, of all of your economic uh, woes. No, no, it's, it's the people in the unions that those are the bad people. It's, it's the pitting of the workers against the workers. You know, it's, it's always that it's the same stuff. And yeah. It's uh, it's quite apparent to see now, and and it's terrifying that during the RNC they they like really thought like okay this this works this worked once it could probably work again. Well, you know, I I you're giving them more credit than I do because I just believe that it's the same ideology, and if if you look at the historical rise of fascism in different countries, I'm actually doing a, a series with a friend of the show, Brenton Lengel. Uh, on the uh, Spanish Civil War right now, and you can see it there. You see it in the rise of uh, fascism in Germany. You see it in the rise of fascism in Italy. You see it in the rise of fascism pretty much everywhere. Is that conservative right wingers will think that they can use fascists as foot soldiers to enforce their conservative ideology, but what happens is the fascists eat the conservatives, and we're seeing that happen right now. I mean, I can't imagine uh, ten ten years ago. Uh, a Republican uh, president actually repeating Nazi conspiracy theories about critical theory. I can't imagine like 10 years ago, uh, uh, personal injury attorneys who pointed guns at peaceful protesters <laughs> speaking at the Republican National Convention. I can't imagine uh, 10 years ago, uh, armed mobs of three percenters and uh, militias going to different cities encouraged by the president to quote unquote enforce order on degenerates, you know, can imagine that, but we're we're going down this rabbit hole. We're going down this rabbit hole because over the last forty years, and here's your uh, mention of nineteen eighty in this podcast, we've gone so far to the right in this country that we're now literally hearing 
old Nazi talking points being regurgitated by the president of the United States. And I want to encourage people who are listening to this to really actually dig into what critical theory is, because not only uh, is it interesting philosophy, it's, it's pretty applicable to our culture today. You'll hear me talk a lot about Adorno in the culture industry. You'll hear people uh, in serious philosophical discussions talk about a lot of uh, critical theory. Uh, if you if you've ever taken a literature class in this country and at a college level, you've actually used some critical theory, believe it or not. But we have a president who is threatening to defund one of the largest uh, school programs in the country in California, where you're at right now, over the use of contemporary theory in education. So he's trying to keep people uneducated and he's trying to impose his failed right wing ideology on public education instead of actually trying to educate kids. He's trying to impose his failed right-wing ideology on the apparatus of the state, which is super disturbing. Because if, if you impose a, a Trumpism or fascism, as you know, most people would call it, mm-hmm. on, on the federal government, you're going to get federal officials and people who are public servants who believe that ideology. Instead of serving the people, they're going to be serving that ideology. And that's, that's super disturbing. And that's kind of why I wanted to do a little bit of a, a chat about this today. We're just seeing it over and over again. Like, yeah. you, you, they keep just filling the swamp with, you know, uh, with people who are former lobbyists. You know, that that were they're not advocating for American people. They're all they're doing really is for just corporate profits and and just trying to privatize everything. Which is one of the, which is one of the core tenets of fascism. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, that's why I alluded to earlier the uh, fact that the the that the privatization of public industry is is a thing that was invented by fascists yeah yeah and what's that i was thinking about this kid um nick sandman the oh the the racist covington catholic kid yeah i mean i just i just wanted to kind of i wanted to show uh i want to read about his quote of what he said at the rnc um he said that i learned what was happening to me had a name it was called being canceled, as in annulled, as in revoked, as in made void, et cetera, et cetera. Um, he said, canceled is what's happening to people around the country who refuses to be silenced by the far left. Many are being fired, humiliated, or even threatened. And often the media is willing to participate, and I would not be canceled. And and I think about that, how he's kind of advocating for an ideology that a lot of people are really getting behind, which is this um, fight against cancel culture. And... Oh, we just talk about that just for a second. And I, I think about canceling things. And oh, it, this guy—he was at a Catholic school. Is that is that right? Um, yeah, Covington Catholic is like a super super expensive prep school, basically. Yeah. There's a part of me as a lover of of math and science, and my heart really bleeds for what happened to the Mayan people and what happened to people around the world who you know fell under the persecution of the catholic church and of churches in general hmm. and to say that we're canceling this kid out in the united states of america which is you know a core tenet of our ideology is freedom of religion um, is ludicrous but you know look back in history as to what you know these um, religious institutions were doing to societies they'd find all their texts and they'd burn them you look at what happened uh, to the Druids of the Romans going through and, uh, you know, killing everyone who had any idea about their oral culture. And then you have, you know, 
these priests going down to Central and South America, rounding up all of their texts and all of their writings and burning them. Yeah. And that I think is that's that's canceling culture when you're taking indigenous Native American children and putting them in schools and telling them to you know not speak their language and telling them to not believe in what they have been believing in for hundreds of years that is cancel culture right there so his he has yeah. no injury I would argue and and I and I see this constantly with the conservatives is they constantly show what they perceive to be an injury and they tell you exactly who to be mad at. Yeah. But the correlation there doesn't exist. So if you want to talk to me about cancel culture, I want those mind writings back because you know I, I want I want that culture back. What 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 about them? They never had a chance, you know, against yeah. stores and, and disease and these priests who were seeking them out to erase every bit of their culture that they had. That is cancel culture. So don't tell me you have injury. Yeah, exactly. And don't don't tell me that you're canceled when you're speaking at the the political convention of one of the two major political parties in the United States. Don't tell me that you're being canceled on Fox News, which is the most viewed news network in the country. Don't tell me that you're being canceled when you're on YouTube and you have like a million followers. Don't tell me that you're being canceled when you're writing an op-ed in the New York Times, or the Washington Post, or the Wall Street Journal. That That isn't cancel culture. Being unpopular for your failed right-wing ideology and being a racist or a fascist, that's not cancel culture. That's people reacting to what you say. <laughs> you have a First Amendment right to say whatever you want, and I will literally lay down my life to ensure that you have that right. You don't have the right to be popular. You don't have the right to have somebody employ you after you endorse like genocide. You don't have the right to monetize your videos on a, a, a private platform when you're advocating for for fascism or, or against the civil rights of the American people. That isn't cancel culture. And I think you're absolutely right. Like if, if you're talking about cancel culture, yeah, I do want those mind texts back. I want the library of Alexandria back. I want, I want the, the books that the Nazis burned uh, back. I want the, the books that we burned in America. We have a really bad history of burning books in this country back. I want all the Beatles albums that they burned in the sixties back. That's cancel culture. But what they're talking about on the right right now is just not being popular and not being taken seriously for manifestly unpopular and failed ideas. And that, that isn't cancel culture. And one thing that I do want to say, though, is that you can't play into that narrative that they have. Like, they're setting a rhetorical trap for you where you want to, like, you know, shut down their speech completely. So you don't fall into that trap. But at the same time, like, humiliate these people because their ideas are, are foolish. Their ideas are not supported by, like, history. Their ideas are not supported by philosophy. Their ideas are not supported by the ideology that this country was founded on. That's, that's not cancel culture. And I think, I think that was a really important point that you made. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's just, there's, there's just perceived injury here. It's like, no, it, they're, yeah. they're making it up. Like, we're, there, there's no one out there who's trying to tell anyone not to congregate. I mean, and that's, that's where I also see perceived injury is that, you'll get an ordinance that'll say people can't congregate in groups of more than five because there's a coronavirus happening and people are going to die. Yeah. That is then misconstrued by people like Ben Shapiro as they're coming after prayer and they're trying to you know, break down the church. And it's like, uh, no, that's totally not it. We're trying to preserve life for the common good of yeah. society. And, and they just perceive injury where there is none. And they yeah, just... And what, 
they think they're constantly under attack and they're yeah, having and what, to invent boogeymen so that way they can you know i don't know have something to do um it just blows my mind these are the priorities uh, of these people meanwhile everyone they vote into office has been shoving um you know lobbyists into this and into these uh you know organizations that are literally going to kill thousands of americans yeah exactly and the, the and the other thing is that like they the one of the elements of fascism that we were talking about is the obsession with the plot all the time yeah and the inability to kind of like see rationally what's actually going on but it has to be a, a mischievous plot by these people who are weak and strong at the same time and that's why the president of the united states is peddling literal nazi talking points about critical theory and they've built an entire culture industry and wow look i'm using critical theory in a constructive way they've built an entire culture industry around replicating that that same product which is that grievance that feeling of grievance to people and they make millions if not billions of dollars off of this every year by marketing these products to people by marketing things like fox news by marketing uh the various failed right-wing media personalities like ben shapiro they they market uh that that feeling of grievance to people and it's doing a really ugly thing to our culture overall it's building that grievance reaction that you were talking about in right. in like what 30 or 40 percent of the population that, that, are, that are right wingers i think about um what you're saying like the, how you're calling out like you're not being canceled like but you're just unpopular you just have you have bad ideas and yeah. like you know like that happens throughout i'm sure there's philosophies there's been uh, philosophers throughout the millennia who just nah dude i don't i don't, I don't think that's gonna work uh, the way uh, you think it does and and that just happens um yeah. and i think about um what the gunslinger says often uh, in in the uh, stephen king novel he said the world moved on yeah and I think about that when we, you know, talk about maybe like everyone has like a racist uncle or, <laughs> you know, that family member who just doesn't like, you know, who's just, who's just racist. I'll stick with just that example. And it's like, oh, that's just uncle whoever. Like, nah, like he's still a dick. <laughs> and <laughs> like, I don't let him hang out with my children. <laughs> you know, like um, he has a shitty idea. And like, you don't have to um, you know, keep that stuff going. Like these ideas will eventually go away. And I think that they're becoming aware of that because after, you know, segregation ended, thankfully, after the civil rights movement in the 60s, all those people that were anti, um, or sorry, how do I frame this? They were pro-segregation. They wanted to keep, you know, races separated. Those people didn't just go away. They had oh, no. kids. They had, you know, they have families. They're in the Supreme, uh, not Supreme Court. They're definitely in, in courts and, you know, in our police departments and they're around our nation and they're still very racist. And, this movement, Black Lives Matter, has really drawn a light to the fact that, you know, the work wasn't done in the 60s. These people kept their ideologies somewhat alive, you know, in the, in, in the closet, if you will. And now when people like Trump come about, you know, it's time to dust off the Nazi medals and, you know, put them on and walk to the White House, which literally happened. Who, who was that? Yeah. Guy? Yeah. Sebastian Gorka is a, I believe he's a Romanian. Uh, shoot. I think he's Romanian. I don't have the, his nationality in front of me, but... He wears a medal from an organization called the uh, uh, Ritzi Rand or the Pravitzi Rand. I don't know how exactly it's pronounced because I'm an ugly American and I only speak the one language. But he was literally wearing a medal from a pro-Nazi organization that turned Jews over to the Nazis in the White House. <laughs> and, and he was a, a national security advisor. He still has a radio show that's super popular. And he has a, uh, a position, I believe, again, in the Trump White House. <laughs> and th this is th these are the people that 
the right wing are pointing in this country. And mm-hmm. I want to I want to actually touch on one little thing real quick. And what we're saying isn't that like you have to completely disregard anyone who has right wing ideas. The dialectic is important. Like let, let's chat about ideas. I want to argue over philosophy. I want to argue over like the merits of Adorno and Horkheimer, or like you know Hegel, or or you know the the merits and uh, the merits and the problems with Karl Marx's uh, economic views. I want to I want to have those conversations. Those are interesting and important conversations to have. But right now, we're actually seeing people that are literally trying to shut it down, with uh, Donald Trump trying to shut down people being educated about contemporary theory. We're, we're seeing people that are marketing a grievance culture, and we're seeing literal uh, Nazi medals being worn in the White House. We had a war over this. <laughs> we killed a lot of Nazis in the 1940s. And there was a reason that we had to do that, because that ideology... Oh, no, I guess, man. Yeah, apparently we missed a few, but you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> but... But like it's it's super important to defeat these these failed ideas, and we're gonna have to do that through like seriously debunking these failed ideas. We're gonna have to do that at the ballot box constantly. Like when hopefully on November third, which is my birthday, so vote vote for birthday present for Bob. But uh, when we vote, hopefully, Donald Trump isn't the end of this. Donald Trump isn't a uh, anomaly he's the result of failed right-wing ideology he's the result of going to the right for so many years he's the direct result of all of these failed ideas that we're talking about and just beating him isn't going to be enough this is going to be a decades-long project of getting these people out of government of voting them out of government out of defeating them in the public square out of showing how how wrong their ideas are on a objectively factual level and how lacking they are on a serious philosophical level. This is uh, this is the project of our lifetimes. Like uh, Fight Club, which I know is one of your favorite works, Rock. Uh, yeah. Uh, they say that like our, our we didn't have a great war. Maybe we didn't have like a World War II thing, but mm-hmm. defe- defeating these failed right wing ideologies is going to be the the great project of our lifetimes as millennials and probably the life coming up too. Yeah, I keep eyeing Mike Pompeo. I'm like, mm. you're gonna run for president, you sick, slippery bastard. Don't I don't think it's gonna be Pompeo, man. I'm gonna put my no. money. But but he's he's thinking about it. Like he's like yeah. those names are in the hats. I'm like, these are just evil people. I mean, just he was selling weapons to the Saudis, and there was an international ban against selling weapons to the Saudis because they're committing war atrocities with American-made weapons in Yemen. Yeah. You know, it's like these these are not nice people, and no. they will lie through their teeth. They will say they're pro-life, they're pro, you know. Just weapon exporting and, and and death. This is what they do. I mean, the, like everything that they say, it's it's contrary to what they do. And I would just encourage anyone who's uh, you know looking at the right, don't look at what they say. Look at what they do. Look at the pieces of legislation they're trying to champion. Look at the ideas that they're trying to uh, propose. And and like I, I was looking at a uh, at an article um, that came out a couple of days ago, and it was. Um, <laughs> It was it was all about the promises kept and this this um, guy um, Nicholas uh, Kriskov he went through um, statements from the past five years that that Trump has has uh, said he was going to do great things like quote we will build the roads and highways bridges tunnels and airports and the railways of tomorrow he said that in 2016 haven't seen infrastructure bill we're going to cut taxes for the middle classes and ensure the benefits continue to go to the middle classes and Luckily, um, reviews 
are starting to come out of the 2018 tax measures that he proposed and that got passed and that are affecting our lives. Once again, you see that, you know, the top 1% benefited tremendously and that it wasn't anything uh, beneficial for the American people. Um, you look at, you know, he said, you know, we will end our chronic trade deficits, but the trade deficits larger now uh, than Obama's last year in office. Like the time and time again, he keeps, you know, saying these great things. And, you know, th I think this comes from like corporate uh, structure of people who are just constantly sending good reports up. Meanwhile, you know, the, the department's on fire. But if you go four levels up in an organization, like everything was fine on the third floor. He's, he's like the biggest hype man of saying everything's fine. We're doing great work. Things are going great. Look at all the charts. Meanwhile, nothing is actually being done. No one's really doing the work. He hasn't built his wall. I mean, I, I judge this man not by what he says, by what he does. And from what I've seen, he doesn't do much, but he tweets a lot. He does tweet a lot. He tweet. Someone needs to take his phone away, man. Like, I don't want to give the right uh, uh, advice on winning elections, but like, mm -hmm. please take his phone away. <laughs> like, that man doesn't need to be tweeting. It's it's literally hurting. The, it's it's hurting the country at this point. Uh, you it's know, scary, man. I, I did. I did want to actually go down Trump's list of promises, but I'm, I'm pulling it up as as we're talking. So feel free to talk over me for a sec. It's just one thing after another. I mean, just I really wanted an infrastructure bill. Like I really thought he was going to do it. That was kind of like my big thing for like maybe this guy isn't all bad, and maybe we can at least get an infrastructure out of this because. Just I, I've traveled across the world and, I, and I've seen how the European model is just it's freaking awesome how it works in places like Belgium or even in, in Hong Kong. Actually, I saw it work to great effect is you'll have a high speed rail train. And it'll go from rural community um, to, to a major city and every stop along the way, there's going to be um, four or five like superstructures. It'll be like four or five big skyscrapers. And then everyone like bicycles to the train station and then they commute to the big city. And, you know, every 20 miles or so you find there's another cluster of superstructures of like really big buildings that people live and work in. And then everyone mostly commutes to the big cities via rail. And you'll have people who will commute like 100 miles, maybe more in some cases to a big city because it's super easy and you can you know, take a nice high speed rail there um, hella fast. And then meanwhile... You still have rural communities because, you know, there's just these small clusters of urbanization as opposed to this massive urban sprawl that we do, which totally erodes at rural communities, which um, I feel like don't get enough representation uh, from the left. And then honestly, from the right, as much as they say they're protecting rural communities, I would say that they are not. Um, but it, it just... And it just it creates this great balance of like being able to have access to high speed rail to then get to a city to where you, you can then have so much opportunity. And it just blows my mind, like how they're just fighting against that super sustainable model tooth and nail. Like if, if we were to connect every city with high speed rail and a national D.C. grid and then we cover most of the Sunbelt in solar panels. I mean, that's going to create so many jobs. That's going to launch us into the next hundred years. Slap on some fiber optic internet to all those things that I just mentioned. And we have a, a beautiful, amazing country that our kids will be very proud that we built this for them. I mean, look at the highway system. We built that in the 50s. 
we built that. That was a collective effort because General Eisenhower, you know, uh, for national security reasons, you know, thought we need to be able to move the armies around very quickly. But at the same time, like the great and immense social benefit of connecting the entire country with the interstate system, like it's visionary. And I think about Teddy Roosevelt, how he protected all of our national parks because he was visionary. He knew what the future of our country would look like if we didn't protect our green spaces from these industrialists, of, of which he was one of them. And he had the foresight, like Eisenhower did, um, to build stuff for our country. And this guy in the White House keeps saying we're going to make America great again and that we're keeping promises. But meanwhile, he's not visionary. He hasn't built anything. He's gotten a lot of people, uh, conservatives mostly, into the courts. He's, got, he's filled the swamp with lobbyists. And I ask again, who's taking care of the American people? Because no, it's not him. On that note, I wanted to go down his 2020 promises, and there's a lot of promises, but this will this will be fairly quick. Uh, the, the, this is under the heading President Trump fighting for you, and he's not objectively <laughs> for all the reasons that we've just discussed. Yeah. But here, here's his promises: jobs, in all caps, of course. Uh, create 10 million new jobs in 10 months. He's going to do that in 2021. Uh, that's not going to happen. That's not in the power of the president. That's not something that's like realistic and it's a really weird number that he just pulled out of out of thin air create 1 million new small businesses small businesses right now are closing at a record rate and capital is consolidating because of failed right-wing policies like donald trump's uh cut taxes to boost take-home pay and keep jobs in america we just had one of the biggest tax scams in the united states's history it didn't spur reinvestment in small businesses it didn't spur a significant rise in real wages it didn't spur a significant rise in the workforce participation rate and another tax cut would just increase the deficit more and donald trump has doubled the deficit and that's like that just just right there on the tax code alone i mean that that's part of the libertarian fantasy is they think that by cutting out taxes to corporations that somehow the american people will thereby benefit all that extra capital these people, they fold capital into more capital. It's what they do. That's how they're able to be so powerful. So all of these mom and pop shops right now that are closing, it's creating um, gaps in the market where there's going to be demand coming once we're in the post-corona uh, uh, life is that there's going to be all of these businesses that were providing services and goods that are now closed because they're mom and pops. That's going to free up so much consumer capital to then buy whatever the heck these uh, mega entities are that were able to ride out the coronavirus as well as the 2008 you know financial crisis and you know these these people like like we keep seeing is just massive consolidation look at you know um, just media in general yeah. look at just news and um, especially like local newspapers look, just look at the trends of local newspapers for the past 100 years and it'll shock you and it should terrify you as to the power that can happen with consolidation of a market to where you're fed a bill of goods to where you think you know you have you know 50 different newspapers you can read but they're owned by three companies yeah and uh, you just use so, critical you just use critical theory to analyze something going on in our culture good job oh dang but uh, <laughs> uh i guess you're just trying to destroy the west uh the, ne the next one is made in america tax credits we we already have made in america tax credits and it doesn't work because of the reasons that we've been talking about in capitalism uh, extend opportunity zones opportunity zones were proven to be a big scam that actually just benefited trump and his cronies and didn't actually do anything uh, continue deregulatory agenda for energy independence we just talked about that for like half an hour that's 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 a that's a terrible idea like it's literally going to kill thousands of americans as it is now 
Like that's yeah. all that's all that means. That's all yeah. that means with the deregulation of the EPA. I mean, they're deregulating so much. It was last month they did the methane uh, deregulation. They're deregulating so much that yet Shell and BP come out against the deregulation and say, "Hey, uh, it's a little much." Yeah. I mean, it, these aren't nice people. They're not. Mentioned. No, you did. Uh, and that that's his job's promises. Next one is uh, COVID-19 promises. He's going to eradicate COVID-19 by developing a vaccine by the end of 2020. That's not going to happen. I know he's promised that there's going to be a vaccine by November. There almost certainly won't be an effective vaccine by November. Uh, return second. Yeah, yeah, November 2nd, the day before. It's gonna, you know what it's gonna be? It's gonna be like a uh, saline. It's gonna be a saline drip with Donald Trump's face on it. That's what's gonna yep. be. Yep. He's gonna uh, mail it to you like like he signed those uh, IRS checks. Like. Oh thing. geez, I still have, I still have my letter actually. I'm gonna keep that. Uh, he he that, delayed the sending of stimulus checks so he could sign them. Yeah. Uh, his next his next promise is return to normal in 2021. Normal wasn't working out too good. We have one of the worst economies in the history of this country for all the reasons yeah. that we've been discussing. Like normal normal wasn't good. Uh, make all critical medicines and supplies for healthcare workers in the United States. That doesn't really make much sense. Make all critical medicines and supplies for the healthcare workers in the United States. Right. We'll probably so like, be in charge of our own supply chain. I'm guessing. Yeah, I mean, so we won't be dependent because right now we're super dependent on Chinese um, precursors for drugs and drugs yeah. in general from from uh, other nations. Yeah. 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 But do they do they know that? Like, is that a thing? I don't know. Uh, yeah, it became pretty apparent at the beginning of the of the pandemic. We were like, we we're all realizing um, how the supply lines were working, and we're like, wow, we'd like yeah. to make some drugs, but we don't have any precursor. Like, yeah, yeah pretty, pretty yeah. terrifying. So. Yeah, the next, actually, next, that, I, that actually might work. I, I, I like that one. And I'll be devil's advocate here. That sounds, that sounds like a good idea. Fair enough. Refill stockpiles and prepare for future pandemics. Donald, Trump, right. Donald Trump cut the stockpiles. <laughs> like, that's not going to happen. We were relying <laughs> on private companies to make our stockpiles. That didn't work. So, uh, they have to that, send to stockpile. Like, it's, no, just, it's, it's not profitable to stockpile. It, it's profitable to just sell everything. Yeah. Uh, n- new, new column now. End our reliance on China. That's not going to happen. Uh, bring back one million manufacturing jobs from China. Like, do they think that the Chinese have like a jobs factory and they're gonna like package a job and send it to the United States? Like, I, I don't understand this one. That's like, that's 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 not going to happen. And a million is just obviously a number that he pulled out because it's impressive. It's gonna be a million jobs. My Donald Trump impression is terrible. That we're gonna bring back from China. Why stop at a million? Why not all our manufacturing jobs? Uh, and and you know we export jobs to other countries as well. If we end our alliance on China. You're going to see electronics continue to be manufactured in Malaysia. You're going to see auto parts jobs continue to be outsourced to Mexico. You're going to, it, it's just, it, it, it's fantasy. Uh, tax credits tax credits for companies that bring back jobs from China. We already have that. It doesn't work because because of the uh, failed free trade deals that right-wingers enact. Uh, it's still more profitable to manufacture in third world countries that keep wages artificially low for their people and oppress them. Uh, They'll take the cut, like they're willing to. They're willing to do it. Yeah, allow 100% expensing deductions for essential industries like pharmaceuticals and robotics, who bring back their manufacturing to the United States. It's just another tax cut for companies that are going to just automate those jobs and eliminate manufacturing jobs. No federal contracts for companies to outsource to China. Uh, good luck with that one. That's uh, kind of already a thing. I know our military goods all had to be manufactured in America, but like that's just a fantasy hold china fully accountable for allowing the virus to spread throughout the world the chinese are doing better than we are right now with covid-19 that's just that's just a sad fact and yeah, it's like he's literally blaming the this active biology yeah on a nation that 
know, this, it's totally a random act of nature. And he's pinning on this country like they plotted it. It's the China virus. Like the, the language he uses against China about the coronavirus, like it's it's just insane. He's just making stuff up. He's trying to push blame to where there is none. You know, people are very disgruntled about the coronavirus and everything now as they should be. I mean, people are getting evicted right now, losing jobs. Like people are struggling just so hard right now. And then, you know, he's preying on that anger. And then yeah. just, oh, yeah, it's the China virus. Like, no, dude. Like it's at this point, it's the American before. virus. Yeah. <laughs> so now, now we're on healthcare. Uh, cut prescription drug prices. Uh, he's against the federal government negotiating drug prices for Medicare, and he's against single payer healthcare. He's against everything that would actually cut prescription drug prices. That's not going to happen. Put patients and doctors back in charge of our healthcare system. Okay, let's do that by passing single payer healthcare. Because that literally puts the people in charge of our healthcare system. As it is now, we have the highest healthcare costs and the worst outcomes in the developed world. Some third world countries like Cuba actually beat us in healthcare because of our failed right wing market based healthcare system. But he's he, he's he's talking about like a market solution that that isn't going to work and is, is a fantasy. End surprise billing. Okay, how? Like you're not gonna you're not gonna do that because the surprise billing right now is based on private providers negotiating with con, uh, consumer uh, insurance companies that are tied to your job. Like that, that's not going to happen unless you pass single payer healthcare, which he's vehemently against. And the failed right wing is vehemently against because they, they profit from it. The, the next yeah. one, the next one is uh, cover all preexisting conditions. The Trump administration has a suit in federal court right now that is literally trying to repeal the Obamacare mandate to ensure people with preexisting conditions. So this is that's, that's I, just a I lie. They succeeded in that. Uh, or, so it's, they, they they eliminated the individual mandate, which uh, yeah. is a, a tax penalty for not having insurance. They didn't quite eliminate yet the uh, mandate to insure people with pre-existing conditions, which would kick millions of people off their health care and make them pay a lot more money for for new health care. Uh, the next next point is uh, protect Social Security and Medicare. Donald Trump. No. Wow. Yeah. That's, wow. Wow. Yeah. That's. Donald Trump's uh, recent um, push to do a payroll tax cut is directly designed to hurt the way we fund Social Security, which is one of the ways is through the payroll tax. Uh, and Medicare, he's, he's against expanding Medicare. The failed right wing has historically been against expanding Medicare for people. Uh, he's trying to pander, I guess, to older voters who are typically more conservative than younger voters there because they don't want to be kicked off their Medicare. But like that, he's, he's directly attacking that. Uh, and the last one on healthcare is protect our veterans and provide world-class healthcare and services. He's literally trying to privatize the VA, and he thinks that veterans are suckers and losers. That's 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 not a thing. Uh, and I, I we can. Do you want me to keep going on this one, or do you want to save some? The that's about half. Do you want to save the rest, or do you want to keep going? No, I just I only wanted to just bring up a few. And I was just going to post the article on on Twitter just because it's just it's it's a lot. Like it's it's just time and time again. Yeah. Of you know this this person saying they're going to do so many things and he's the biggest hype man ever he just if all you do is listen to him it sounds like everything's going great yeah it is but literally none of these things he's saying are true and none of these things are coming to fruition and all these things that he's saying he's for he's against and again look at what he does at, you know, judge not that you're you know, congressman and president by, by what they say, but by what they do. And this man does very little for the American people. He, he hasn't done any of these things. He's made a bunch of good tax incentives for rich people. 
um, you know, shocker there. Um, it's just business as usual, and it's crazy. They don't even need to hide it anymore, and they don't even need to lie. Like they just, they're just, it's everything's so in the open now, which is why like this is a great time for us to do this podcast because like all the, you know, connections I was making about Andrew Wheeler, about you know these guys, um, like like Joseph Baelish and William Perry Penley from the the BLM, like how all these people are in cahoots together. Like it's it's not even a lie anymore. Like they're all prior lobbyists. They all know how the system works because they've been fighting it for years. They've devoted their entire you know, careers as lawyers in some cases against these institutions that they're now in charge of. And they're slowly dismantling you know, every protection for the American people under the guise of selling us, of giving us jobs and like doing all these great things. But meanwhile, it's it, none of it's happening. No, none of, none of it is happening. Uh, yeah. I did, I did want to at least do the education one because there's only two points on this education plan. Which is yeah. brilliant. Of course, we only need two things in education. Uh, provide school choice to every child in America. What does that mean? That means oh, that means private private, yeah, that means private alternatives. Wow. That that means turning your kids into a profit center for big businesses like Betsy DeVos is doing, who we've talked about on this podcast numerous times. That means defunding the public education system. That means pricing kids out of a quality education based on where they live, based on their parents' income. This this would be a disaster. And the second point is teach American exceptionalism. What does that mean? That means basically whitewashing the history of this country and teaching kids that America can do no wrong and that everything we do now is great. It's that, called ethnocentrism. Yeah, it, it, it literally is. It's, it's, it's to the point where you just believe in your nation so much that everyone else is just garbage. And, and it's like this huge, huge lie that's like being um, proposed. It's like it's the idea that we fought and won both the world wars on our own. And like it's it's that kind of rhetoric and ideology it shits on our allies who are literally bleeding with right now in war zones across the world yeah i mean it gets worse too but uh, there's a lot more points and we've gone we've gone a while so tune in next week to go through the rest of this disastrous campaign platform <laughs> and yeah, I'll go over uh the subpoenas that uh you know good old joy got this week yeah. that, that, that crony and yeah but more next time yeah, uh, and and we'll after we're done with this one, we'll go through the uh, libertarian campaign platform for a little bit of comic Ooh, relief, and then oh, it is, and then uh, we'll we'll end uh, our our campaign series with Biden's platform and its its failings and successes. And yeah. maybe we'll conclude with a little thing about why you should probably vote for Biden, even though I'm going to need a shower after I do it. Yeah, I mean, I, I hear this argument from people uh, quite often is that, oh, yeah, both sides do this stuff, you know, but the, the left and the right, they're both, you know, it's all the same. They both lie and they both cheat. And, and um, you know, that may be true in some respects. Yeah, like the, the, the left isn't perfect. But for everything I just talked about, like the the actions that are directly being taken by the right and all these people I talked about are literally going to kill us. Yeah, and and their and their campaign platform is, and their campaign platform is is fantasy at best, and at worst, it, it's extending the problems that we're facing that we all know about. And we're gonna go through the rest of this insane campaign platform next episode. But geez, Louise, guys, like, please don't vote for this guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you want to, do you want to end it there? Yeah, well, what's what's good with you, man? What are you reading, playing, watching? Anything, anything super? Awesome? I I started watching The Boys, uh, season two, which is a, is it's a it's one of the best shows that's out there right now. You guys should definitely watch it. 
it, it feeds into a lot of the uh, culture industry stuff that uh, we talk about with Adurno. It feeds into a lot of the hypercapitalism and branding that we deal with. And uh, it's the best uh, villains on television that in, in my lifetime. Uh, it's like an evil corporate uh, Superman. It's a really cool show. Uh, season one is all on Amazon Prime, and uh, season two's first three episodes dropped on Friday. So definitely check that out, guys. Uh, what am I reading right now? Uh, I am between books at the moment. Uh, I, I, I uh, need to try to probably pick up some something really uh, continental and depressing. But uh, I'm doing a uh, book review series on a book called Homage to Catalonia, um, which is a really interesting book that George Orwell wrote about his time in a uh, militia fighting fascists during the Spanish Civil War. And I started playing Empire Total War, which is really ironic because it's basically an imperialism simulator. <laughs> Uh, considering our ideologies, but it, it's a very fun game. Uh, I highly recommend that one. It's super cheap on Steam to pick it up. The the Total War uh, series of games are great if you like strategy. I'm also playing a lot of chess very poorly right now. I'm on a I'm on a I'm on a losing streak. Uh, and uh, to to kind of like actualize myself, I've been out uh, I've been out working on uh, heavy equipment again recently. It's just something that I, I did before I enlisted in the U.S. military. Uh, today, today I had a great day because uh, my uh, skid steer, which is a small bulldozer, uh, threw a threw a cylinder, and I'm trying to take a cylinder off a very small bulldozer, and it's super fun because I've got this really annoying like bifurcated pin that's like segmented, and I have to get a chisel tomorrow and uh, get that sucker out, and I'm covered in hydraulic oil right now. Nice. <laughs> it's great, man. Like, like you know, if you're gonna do something physical, man, like maybe start a garden or something. Like, maybe don't work on heavy equipment because it, it's it's fun and rewarding, but it's also very frustrating. Uh, but like, you know, start a garden. Maybe like, uh, you know, run a mile or something if you get the chance. You know, like see how fast you can run a mile. Maybe improve yourself that way a little bit. It's it's a great way to take a kind of a break from the 2020 hell world we all live in right now, guys. Uh, you know, uh, do something that you were maybe like afraid to do. That's not going to endanger your physical safety and, and better yourself a little bit this week because it's it's rough right now and it's going to get rougher as we get closer to the election. So, you know, take care of yourselves, guys. What about you, Rock? You, you, you're, I know you're doing some calculus right now. Yes, yes. Um, getting into that, um, just going over different uh, techniques for doing uh, integration and um, just just really appreciating just how beautiful math is and, like, how just by doing you know mathematical um, operations just over time, like eventually you know if you do enough math, you do enough research, you do enough of these like sort of um, science uh, tasks, like you'll start to see mathematical constants that are derived in nature. You'll start to see pi. You'll start to see e. You'll start to see factorial operations. You'll start to see these beautiful things that we've you know constructed because you know math is really just a made up concept of, of course, but you know we we keep finding that there's these mathematical truisms and underlying trends that just keep popping up because you know we use math to really quantify what is happening in our, in our physical world it's it's the natural programming of everywhere and it's the objective truth you know I, I, that i find on things and and, and doing calculus is is just quite mind-blowing it, it it takes things to a whole other level that i didn't even think possible with arithmetic and algebra it's uh it's been very fun to, to do that and uh as far as my computer studies go, actually, I, I crossed a, a pretty big uh, line for myself. I, I finally uh, went across the uh, analog to digital line. I, I connected a breadboard up to my Raspberry Pi. I wrote up a program, 
um, to then interface with it. And uh, it's nice as a computer engineer to finally like, ah, I see the line. I see what's happening with the CPU code. I see what's happening um, with these lines of instruction and to like really finally cut down all the layers of ambiguity that, that separate users from what's actually happening on, on the core of, of a CPU. And, and yeah, I, I feel like I finally have looked into the machine and uh, now it's just going to be a matter of time before I just keep tinkering around to, to make my own. But that was that was a fun breakthrough that, that, that I came to. And you know, when it comes to just you know, being on that journey of, of, of knowledge and learning, you know, it's it's so rewarding uh, in its own right. And yeah, you're also totally correct, though, about gardening. I, I, I love my, my greenhouse, my garden, um, just being outside for an hour, just picking weeds. It's, it'll, it'll do you a whole world of good. And um, also just fun because it just it links you up with nature and it just makes me appreciate this big blue marble that we're on i mean i was just watering the other day and on uh these beautiful pink flowers they're called naked ladies and there was a spider eating a hornet and it was so rad i, I follow uh, nature is metal on instagram and um you know, just shit like that like we, we can't forget that you know we're ourselves animals and that we're part of a natural world that we should all take care of and um yeah grow a garden can't do it. Man. That's all you need. Are you still reading <laughs> Dune off and on? Uh, because of school these past three weeks, no. But I yeah. do love uh, that novel so far, and uh, yeah. yeah, definitely gonna get back <laughs> on that. But uh, a hilarious yeah. movie I did watch though, actually. Uh, yeah. What's that about it? Some Drek, uh was the core. Have you seen this? Oh my god, is that the one with uh, Gene Reno and they have like a drill that's going into the core to like make it spin or something? Yes. And oh my it god, is I remember an when this awful came. movie. It is. <laughs> If if you watch it, you're gonna see the CGI scene where they're in like the space shuttle, and then they go to a cockpit view, and there's literally a fucking calculator taped to the wall. And I'm like, <laughs> Jesus Christ, props guy, it's all you had, just calculator. It was fucking hilarious. So. He, he might he might have gone to the National Air and Space Museum where you can actually see the slide rule that the uh, cosmonauts used when they went to space uh, originally. That is never great. Jay. They never they ne never GM. RTM, great calculator. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, guys. Thanks for sticking with us through the Five by Five podcast for this week. I'm I'm Bob, and I'm I'm joined by, uh, as always, the uh, co-host uh, of this show and uh, my best friend. Uh, some say that he's so Californian that he uh, only eats sushi burritos. Uh, Rocco. Um, thanks, thank, thank, thank you, Bob. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, that's, that's my pleasure. But I I do uh, also like just regular carne asada. So you got oh, me there. Touche. I'm I'm Jones on some tacos out store. That's why. Mm-hmm. It's good stuff for you. Well, we'll catch you all next time. All right. Out.